This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. We're joined today by Dan Miller, and he is the co-founder and president of a company called Fundrise, which is a crowdsourcing company in the real estate sector. And this is a fairly new idea. And uh, why don't you tell us about it, how it works, and uh, how you got involved? Sure. So my brother and I launched Fundrise in 2010. We're the first crowdfunding platform in the U.S. Initially, we built the platform to fund our own real estate transactions. So we were buying and developing properties in Washington, D.C., created the platform to let anybody invest with us in the single deal for as little as 100 bucks. This is the first crowdfunded transaction, and now we fund other real estate companies. So scaled from doing our own projects to now projects all over the country. So when people hear that number, $100, they're probably thinking of very small scale, but it's not necessarily small scale. So why don't you tell us what what size the projects are, and is it residential, is it commercial? Sure. It's mostly commercial projects in urban areas, about under $30 million, so a little below institutional scale. We're normally providing about 2 to $5 million bucks per deal. Three years ago, that was 300000 Last year, it was a couple hundred, you know, six, 700000 So it's growing very quickly. And really what crowdfunding allows people to do is distribute investments online, take a lot of very small investors, pool those together into a larger check. So just because they're small minimums doesn't mean the sum doesn't add up to a large amount. So you have people, you, you put a project on your website and you say, we want to buy and develop this building. Would you like to invest? And you can invest any amount you want. I, I, I guess the minimum sounds like it might be 100 but you get investors up to a million, I understand. Yep. Is there an average or a mean that makes the, sense the average, for people to understand? About 10,000. 10,000 is uh-huh. a good number people think of, of, of what the kind of average investment is. And so we source deals, we underwrite deals, we have offices around the country. So that process is like traditional real estate sourcing underwriting. You have people work the markets, they meet real estate developers, they discuss our platform, and then we put the deals together. Um, the innovative part is putting it on the site and allowing anybody to be part of the investment. And the investor, what is it that they get out of it? What kind of return? Why would they want to do that than maybe some other kind of deal? What's the advantage to right. them? Well, that, that, the real value is in that you have technology cutting out middlemen that were direct between investor and real estate companies as opposed to having private equity funds or other groups in the middle. And so that way you're able to have double-digit returns for investors, which is still the cheaper cost of capital for real estate companies. So generally we're doing preferred equity investments. So junior to bank debt in the deal, but senior to equity in the deal. So it's a kind of high term or high fixed yield, relatively short term during the transition or development of the real estate asset. So if someone didn't know your company, how would they know that their money was secured, that this was a good idea or maybe a good idea or or maybe not a good idea? They really watch and see. So that's what we've seen on consumer behavior. People sign up for the site. They rarely invest in the first 120 days. They sign on regularly, they look at deals, they check them out, they see that they're raising the funds, that they're closed, and then they invest 5000 and then they start getting distributions on that deal, and then they might invest ten and twenty-five. So we've really seen that type of consumer behavior happen, which I think is similar to what e-commerce was. You know, the first time you bought something online, you weren't sure if it was safe to put your credit card in, you didn't know when the box was going to arrive, and now it's instantaneous, you know, same-day delivery. I think similar consumer behavior patterns, because you're serving them a product they've really never invested in before, through a, a mechanism online that they haven't done for that many different types of investments. So interestingly, you're, you, you have a niche here when it comes to the size of projects. 
you're not uh, you're not um, investing in or developing two hundred million dollar office towers. You're investing in in a certain size project, which um, those with with large amounts to invest tend to not be interested in so much. Could you explain how that? Yeah, dynamic that's really works? where we began. So. With institutional investors, they'll rarely write a check of less than $10 million of equity. And that's not because the deal doesn't make sense if it's smaller. It's because they have a multi-billion dollar fund. They can put it out in so many increments. If they have a lot of $1 million investments, they won't be able to manage it. And so it creates this artificial barrier where the small, medium enterprise, the mid-sized real estate operator who's established, who has a real track record, if they bring a deal that's 15 to $20 million of value, it's very hard for them to get that finance. So we plug what technology tends to be efficient at is the kind of mid-market space for the, the real estate operators and provide them capital to deals that are often ignored by institutional investors. What kinds of projects have you completed so far? Uh, we've done projects in 15 different markets. The highest profile was we raised $5 million for Three World Trade Center. Uh, we sold $5 million of the senior bond, the senior construction loan on that deal. Um, we've done about half of our business between D.C. and New York and just launched offices in L.A. and San Francisco. Um, most of our deals, like I said, between 5 to $25 million in deal size. Again, we're funding another real estate company. They come to us. We're funding a portion of that deal. And most of them are urban areas in transition, so buying an apartment building, upgrading the units, then selling and refinancing. Um, lots of different types of projects, but always in some development or transition. So in addition to finding investors through the use of technology, which wasn't so easy to do before, the technology allowed for it, um, finding people who wouldn't have been able to invest this way before, you're also, you mentioned earlier, cutting out the middleman. So that means you're saying that you're cutting costs quite a bit. Could you explain how that whole cost-cutting exercise works? How much of the cost do you cut out? Sure. I assume that's a big part of the, the business model. And uh, what... What, how, how, what percentage of the cost do you cut out and how does that translate into how these deals work? Right. And, and that's really the real value that we're able to deliver cheaper capital to the real estate operator and, and better investments to the real estate investors. Ultimately, if, if that's not the value proposition, then, then there is no business here. And our comparisons often to a private equity fund. We charge half a percent per year to the investor to asset management and service the investments. Um, private equity fund normally charges 2% a year management fee and 20% of the upside over a preferred return. So we kind of use a mock sample deal, three-year investment, 12-year, 12 12 12 I mean 12% annual return. Uh, we charge 1.5% over those three years. A typical private equity fund will charge 8.4% over those three years. So it's really a huge spread that then gets split between the real estate company and the investor. So we hear a lot about disruptive technologies and you're just talking about disrupting private equity in the real estate space. Do you think that that's, um, that's a scalable model that's uh, at least in the, uh, uh, at, at the level of project that you're talking about, which is under 30 million roughly, although I guess that could change. Yeah, it's going to change. I mean, I think what you've seen in other businesses, when you look at digital media blogs, Twitter, Facebook, they started out relatively small and then it became large and institutional. So I think where, where is the most efficient place to start is, is the ignored portion of the market that institutions have difficulty serving because of their scale. 
Um, but I think it really will shift. It's about creating efficiency for private commercial real estate transactions. It's a very inefficient market. It's a huge market, but you have a deal, you make some phone calls, you try to raise some funding. There's not an efficient way to put the deal, to have it distributed, for people to look at it, to make investments, to have a platform like ours standardize it. So I think it's going to bring efficiency to all parts of the market. It's just going to take time to go to, to different sectors. So it's a little bit like um, an Airbnb or an Uber where you're, you're the, the, I guess, the conduit that's connecting the, the, uh, the person with the need uh, with the person who can fulfill that need, and that's uh, creating less overhead in that sort of thing. Is that the idea? Right. It, it, the business model is called marketplace lending at this point. Lending Club's the best-known one. So you have borrowers, you have investors, you connect the two. You also use your own capital to guarantee the funding so that you match, you make the two stick together. Um, and by, by creating that standardization, you have efficiency on both sides. So what we've seen is with the decentralized model, it can operate much more efficiently at much cheaper costs. It doesn't have all the centralized infrastructure that bank branches have with big offices and corporate overhead. And so I think as you see crowdfunding get larger and the sums of capital be bigger, I think you're really going to see it challenging, um, challenge the existing banking infrastructure that is very centralized with a lot of overhead and additional costs. But it's not just... Uh bank infrastructure, it's not just bank buildings and right. and that sort of thing, but it's also the cost of actually going out and finding investors, which is, I, I guess, labor intensive, and right. it involves a lot of meetings and right. lunches and handholding, and right. you're basically saying that's not necessary anymore, at least in projects of this size, at least for now. Yeah, it's, we, we think of ourselves like an outsourced capital markets division for a lot of these firms. Mid-sized real estate operators, they don't have a full-time person on a capital markets desk, and we're arranging financing. We're giving them a sense of what the quotes for different capital is going to be. We're giving them connection to the investors, but we're handling the investor relations, the distributions, the tax documents. So it's very much centralizing that role, letting the real estate developer focus on their job, sourcing deals, developing deals, and us managing the entire capital raising infrastructure. So compared to how it used to be done and what it used to cost to do that, how does your cost structure compare? In other words, how much are you cutting out? Right. Right. When you say what, you're cutting out the middleman, what percentage of fees and right. costs are you cutting so out? So generally, somebody who syndicates equity will charge 3 to 5% um, minimum, potentially higher, for them to corral and raise the capital. Um, private equity funds will charge 2 to 20 So you, you have, on the investor side, at least a 5 to 10% fee that the investor in, dire, indirectly pays or directly. Um, private REITs are another market that's similar for private real estate transactions. That's a 15% upfront fee when you enter the investment. So you're talking about pretty huge fees that, that we think technology is going to undercut. Versus your fee would be what? Half a percent per year. And then we charge the borrower 1.5% at closing. Um, so it's, it's for the borrower, it's cheaper capital. For the investors, it's more access to investments. And it also opens up a new part of the market. Traditionally, with a, you know, with a real estate syndication, you're limiting it to people investing 100000 or more. And so you're talking about a, a huge unmet part of the market that hasn't been able to invest in single real estate transactions. There's something else about this also, about the, the kinds of projects that you do where the people that invest oftentimes will have some connection to it. Maybe it's in their neighborhood or maybe they, they know somebody that's involved in, in that building somehow. And right. so they, it, it feels more real to them somehow. That's, that's where we began. I mean, we were developing urban infill projects with leasing to chefs and restaurateurs that people knew locally, converting old historic buildings that people are very excited about. 
And we always had people come and talk to us about, you know, what are you doing? Why, what are these projects looking like and how are they coming out? And we thought, why don't we go out to those investors, let them invest in it. They might own a home in the neighborhood. They have already understood the real estate. They have a lot of other data around it that makes them excited to invest that might not be purely financial, but doesn't mean it's wrong. And so we just did our first project in Detroit. Um, we're going to raise capital for the old Tiger Stadium redevelopment. And in the same way, it's an old baseball stadium. Everyone in Detroit's been to it. They want to be part of revitalizing that area and bringing it back. And so I think you're seeing what we're able to do is because you're selling these investments to retail investors, they're buying, you know, they're buying a, a, a product that has more texture as opposed to just a 16% IR. There's other components that they're able to evaluate. So how big of a project is that and what percentage of that amount do you think you'll so be able to help? Raise? That project's about $30 million. Um, and it's going to be about 20% equity. We'll raise between a half a million to a million. Um, and we now fund with our own balance sheet. So we guarantee the funds at closing with our own cash and then put it up on the site. So it really, for the real estate company, they're not taking the risk of raising the money online. That's been one of the big things that shifted, that we centralize the asset management, we centralize the investor reporting, and we make sure that the funds are there at the appropriate time. So this is the part of commercial real estate development that's going to be changing big time in your estimation. What parts will remain the same? There's obviously a people element to some of this and so yeah. forth. Um, deal sourcing, we've seen most of our deals come offline for with our kind of regional offices, people being in market, knowing the neighborhoods, meeting the developers in person. Done very few deals where we haven't met the developer or where they originated online. So we're finding that putting the deals together is a very offline process. Uh, we're finding underwriting due diligence. There's certain information that needs to be collected. It has to be ordered from these third-party groups, appraisals, environmental surveys, and somebody has to centrally underwrite it. Two functions that we're looking at there to, to, to you know, use the people more efficiently is kind of crowdsourcing that aspect, where if a broker or somebody brings us a deal, they can upload it and share fees with us. Or maybe you start to have experts in certain markets who underwrite the deal and, and to the crowd kind of become a credible third-party group. But right now, it's us handling all those aspects. So. I would say the sourcing, underwriting, and closing is very old school. It's the distributing the investment, the marketing of it online, the investor reporting. That's where we've done it, had a fundamental shift. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you so much. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.